Blog Talk Radio. Okay, I guess she's not on yet, so I'm going to continue. I'll go ahead and introduce our special guests tonight. Um, on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have a Q&A call-in discussion with a survivor professional using an open mic forum. We feature a survivor professional co-host who will field topics brought to the episode by you, the listener. <clears throat> Tonight, the special co-host is Judy Tedder, the president of IOI, Inc., the island of immunity. Jody says it's a safe and nurturing community of healing for survivors of childhood sexual abuse and other forms of trauma. The words on her blog are certainly revealing. Quote, 
it's not just all self-love like we keep hearing, love yourself before anyone else. I actually think it's the opposite. You can't really love yourself until you love other people, unquote. Jody goes on, quote, when I lived at home with my father, I was favored. His favor included being backhanded when I showed the slightest sign of disobedience, rape, sodomy, and playing the game risk, unquote. Jody is outspoken, too. Quote, we don't seem to talk of or hear much about adults who are complicit in sexual abuse and other forms of abuse as well, including parents, either one or both. In other forms of crime, we have a term for this, and we call it accomplice. This person can be charged for a crime, unquote. Okay, and with that, I will ask again, are you on the phone, Victoria? Yeah, I'm back on. I I don't know. I'll turn it over to you then. Okay, my phone my phone hangs up every once in a while. I'm really sorry, you guys. So um, anyway, hello Jody, how are you? Is is Jody on? Oh wait, uh, hold on. I pushed the buttons. There we go. Jody, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Jody. Sorry about Victoria. <laughs> the issues is Victoria. I'm the host, Hi, but Victoria. I can't get on my computer tonight, so I don't get see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound anyway. like you got it. Yeah, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm traveling, so yeah, I'm sitting in my car, but it works just fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm ready for a great show. How about you? <laughs> I am, too. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, where would you like to start? Uh, I, your show I gotta let you know. Um, this is a uh, night, the first Thursday for me. I'm um, going through with the new time. I'm from when NASCAR was just getting started and whatnot. So I'm getting used to how the conversation goes here. And I'm in mm-hmm. this room with the black background and pretty lights, mm-hmm. but I can't see it. So. I actually don't understand um, what happened in the time that Annie uh, left. Okay, well, Annie and I are both on. I'm the host, and Annie is uh, on the back lines, but she'll also be joining us as well. We're co-hosting, and uh, we, you know, have different guests on. So you're the guest tonight, and uh, we'll both be on here asking questions Am and I hopefully we'll on? get some people to call in. You can't hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, this is Annie. I'm still on. Uh-huh. I don't know why we can't see me, but I am still on. No, I said I can't see you because I can't get on my computer is what I meant. Oh, okay. So I, I can't see if we have any call-in people, I guess is what I'm... Oh, I'm looking at something with three, four heads, four green heads. Three yep. on mic and four green heads. That's a star. And who is it? So I don't know who's is in it. it. Yeah, I don't recognize is the this Jody? <laughs> is this Jody? I'm Lori. No, I'm Lori. Oh, Lori, 
Okay, yeah. is Jody on? Yes, I'm here. I, yeah, and I am I supposed to lead with something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your show. You can take it away, and we're here to support you or ask questions. Or, okay. Well, um, you know, I thought of, I, I thought I thought a very good place to lead would be with. I want to read this quote from "On the Threshold of Hope," and it's written by Diane Mang Langbert. She's a doctor. And I think this is an appropriate thing. I know this is a question and answer show. And so I thought it would be wonderful to read. It's just a paragraph, but she starts with sexual abuse causes deep wounds. I am aware that many of you have spent years trying to minimize what occurred to you. Even now, okay, you may you be are, thinking. You are, let me stop a minute. You're breaking up. It's hard to hear oh, you. Oh, am I breaking? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're still okay. breaking up. I'll try to. Oh, shoot. This is the best reception I can get just because I'm traveling. I don't know. Okay, well, maybe, uh, you, I can, maybe you can lower I, it. Yeah, can I can forward. hear you. I can hear you. Yeah, we can hear I'm you. I'm living on a mountain. Yeah. yeah, but for some reason, I can hear you. I could hear part of, you know, the rest of you, but uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, and I can hear you fine, too. So the point of what she was talking about was that we have to not minimize our wounds. And I just wonder how many people are here. She talks about if you had a stab wound in your stomach, you certainly wouldn't want a surgeon just to glance at your bloody shirt and say, oh, it's just a little cut. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I wonder how many of us look at our abuse and think this, right? So I thought it would be a good place to start. Um, Yeah. You know, the adults in our life. You're not breaking me up anymore if you'd like to read what you brought would be great. Oh, okay. Okay. So she says that. um, Let's start over. I'm aware that many of you have spent years trying to minimize what occurred to you. Even now, you may be thinking she's making too much of this. However, as I repeatedly say, our God is a God of truth. Healing will not come unless we begin with truth. And so I just thought it was a great way to talk to, I don't know who's here, but we could all talk to that. I think um, I also do a show where I talk to survivors and so many of them talk about um, this one lady I was talking to this week. She said that while her father, her stepfather was raping her, she was 12 years old. Her mother opens the door, looks, and you know what her mother does? Shuts the door and runs away. And, you know, oh this minimization, it stopped the act, but, you know, doesn't that, and like she said, my mother never comforted me. She was angry at me. And, you know, so I guess I thought it would be good for us to discuss how many of us felt that it's minimized. Even in the world, I feel like when we go and we talk to people, we have to minimize our stories, right? Because a lot of our stories are too hard for people to take right or they just want us to be quiet so if if they get to talk about the tricycle that they had when they were three we certainly don't get to talk about the molestation that we received at three and so we're minimizing all the time just to be who we are so i don't know i just thought thought that would be a good place to open up and and i wonder how everybody feels about that well i i agree 100 percent. i know when i started in therapy i was minimizing um i would just tell you know um, you know, I would still tell this horrific story, but then I would have said it could have been your worst, you know, because that's what I was heard. And then, you know, I'd say another horrific story could have been worse. I don't know. I went to therapy 
couple times and by my therapist stopped me, which really upset me because, like, I was, you know, trying to tell everything. <laughs> she says, uh, I just want to ask you a question. And I says, what? And she says, did anybody ever tell you it could have been better? You could have been adopted by people that wanted you, loved you, nurtured you, took care of you. And I tell you why, I just started crying. <laughs> I don't know how many, oh, that's how long terrible. did I cry for? Yeah. You know, because wow. my grandparents adopted me and told me that, you know, um, they had to adopt me because my mom didn't want me, you know. So I always felt like it was a burden. Right. You know, and, and that's the other thing, and I think that, it helps us minimize when people respond to us that way because the world doesn't know how to talk to us. But really all you have to say is that's right. terrible. I'm so sorry. How, how are you doing now or anything? But it, and so we do want to minimize because often, like yeah. you're just saying, we receive so, so many bad things back, right? Or they just look at you kind of like deadpan uh-huh. or, you know, people right. don't know how to respond to it and they didn't know mm-hmm. how to respond. I think that mother didn't know what to say because it's a, such a horrific act when Actually, you open that the was door. My, that was my therapist. That was my therapist that said, you know. Yeah, um, I know that's right. But I, right, I was, you know. Yeah, that's but, crazy. Uh, and then what did you say back to her at that point? I just started crying because nobody had ever told me that. They always told me it could be worse, could be worse, could be worse. You know, like you right, think you have a bad right. guy down the street that doesn't have a leg, you know, you just focus on the positive. Don't be bringing up all the negative stuff all the time. You know, that's well, kind of how I was raised. Exactly. But the problem with not focusing on the negative is exactly like what this book just said was. You have to focus on the negative. If you don't tell the complete truth, you can't heal the complete truth, right? So that's right. if we're minimizing, right. like if we just, if we act like, this rape at eight or whatever was just like uh, having a broken arm, which are two right. completely different things. Well, they're both traumatic, you know, and so right. we can't heal then on a level if we don't come into that truth. But, but as you said, even a therapist wanted you to say, oh, let's look at the positive. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll look no, at the positive no, when she I get said, did anybody ever? No, no. She said, did anybody ever, because I said that, you know, they had to take me. She said, "Did anybody ever tell you you could have been adopted? You could have been adopted by somebody who cared for you, you know." And I had never thought of it that way, you know. I never thought of it like, "Wow, my life could have been different," you know. Um, you know, I didn't deserve the abuse. It's kind. Of, that's how I took it. And, oh, uh, I see. You know, right, right. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I was just trying to get my story out. I wasn't even into any feelings or anything at that point, you know, because I just started with a psychologist. Because um, I was just diagnosed with MPD and found a specialist and uh, was just kind of running through the narrative of what had happened to me. You know? Oh, right. Uh, wow. So you had, yeah. that's, a, that's a big diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Right. And, uh, and so has that, it, you know, then they said find somebody. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. has it helped the, to me, I mean, I, I also, I witnessed uh, my father rape and murder a person before I turned the age of four oh. and, you know, all of these oh. horrific things happened. Yeah. But the truth right. was, is that I didn't ever rebound until I told mm-hmm. my whole story. And so I just yeah. think it's really important for all of us to, 
learn to recognize what kind of story we're telling, right? Is it a minimization yeah. of the truth? Is it the whole truth? Is it a part truth? Right? Yeah. And I bet if you're diagnosed with something like that, I yeah. bet moving into a yeah. a full, you know, memory well, or first memory, of all, I didn't even know what sure my truth was. Things. Yeah, I didn't know what my truth was and I know a lot of people say this when they first start. Uh they get a glimpse of what you know, what happened. And as you go into therapy recovery, whatever, you start getting more and more information. That's what happened to me. I started uh, I started in therapy when I was 21 years old when I escaped from my biological father. And, you know, that's when I started therapy. But I didn't get chronically diagnosed until many years later. Um, and then I finally got the help I needed, you know. But I've been told not to talk about it. And I've been speaking out. I even changed my name to Victoria Kelly so I could speak because my biological father was still alive and I was afraid he'd find me. You know, and I go to AA, I've got 37 years sober. And I talk about, you know, I don't like go into detail or anything, but I will say I'm the survivor of incest or, you know, sexual abuse or, you know, battering or whatever it is that, you know, comes into my, my mind at the time. And I have people come up to me and say, I can't believe you're still talking about that, you know. When are you going to quit talking about it? And I said, as soon as nobody comes up to me afterwards or during the week or that's the next meeting and says, Victoria, nobody's talking about this. That's why I keep going out drinking because, you know, I feel like I have to keep this all a secret. And I feel like I can talk to you because I believe you're a safe person. And I tell you how honored I am when that happens. Right. Well, see, and here's the thing, and I say this all the time, they get to have their stories. Do you know how many times I hear the same stories from people like, oh, I had this favorite uncle that came from Philadelphia and he brought these wonderful cookies. And I'll hear the same stories over and over and over. Then why do they get their stories? But we don't get ours, right? And so I just don't think that's right. Unfortunately, I think that we are being as authentic and real as we can be by actually bringing our story with us. That doesn't mean right. that now we're healed and we get to put all those memories in the closet. That's like putting half of ourself mm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But, but, it is, yep. but it is funny that if it's a positive story, you get to tell it, which is actually what mm-hmm. this world says. Just go ahead and tell all the positive stuff. You know, yeah. it's, um, it's like when it's Facebook very... and they're taking wonderful meals and their kids are smiling and I was looking at my pictures when I was kid and I'm like, look at them smiling all those pictures. But then it took me a while to remember, we were always told to smile. These <laughs> not half the time. <laughs> but they, you know what, though? They smile and say peace. Right. But that is so true. I think about, you know, my pictures when I was growing up. We all smiled. And, you know, I have yeah. uh, footage of when I'm growing up where I run over and pick up my dad's beer and drink it. And I'm like eight years old. Like this, yep. you know, but we're smiling. There's nothing wrong. But what's wrong with that picture? Clearly there's something terribly yep. wrong with that picture. Yep. 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 Yeah. So yep. it, it is very true. Have you checked for people calling in or can you guys not see your screen? Um, Annie has to look that up. We do have uh, two callers in. I believe one is Lori. Is that right, Lori? Yep, Lori Purcell. There you go. Okay. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and speak first, and then after that we do have another caller. 
Okay, cool. Um, you're a very refreshing person. I'm sure you're younger than me, uh, but you're mature enough that you've got this special wisdom, and you're passing it down for all of you know the the ones who were abused. What happens is they go down the road. Their lives literally get made smaller because things are happening down their road. They might they might get married, they might have a kid, they have to get used to a job, they want to heal, they want to, whatever they want to do. Um, that comes like afterwards. You have to like work hard. You have to work hard and give things up and some of those things family and close friends, but that's the only way a person can get better, you know? If you want to only think of like your best friend, which is you, nobody knows you better than you. So I think in today's age, uh, I'm definitely liking what you're saying. Awesome. I I think it is important. Like I mean, like what you said, there are it's it, they're hard messages, but they're really true messages because to be ourselves. I haven't been more real in my entire life, but the truth is if you sit next to me for very long, you're, I, I'm going to hear something about your life, and you're probably going to hear something about mine. It just so happens that I had a whole lot of trauma in my life from the time I was born till the time I left that house, but I'm still living a very authentic life by sharing just like the guy next to me does. And I think to normalize that, it doesn't it help us at large to say, yeah, you can share. Why does it have to be this secret or why does it have to be all of a sudden now I've healed and now I get to go put it back in some chest or drawer? To me, that makes shame stay with me. I'm not ashamed anymore of what I went through. You know, I mean, I can say those really hard stories to help somebody else because I was a victim of things. And, um, you know, I'm not a chronic teller of things. I have a full life. I make big, beautiful dinner parties and I have paella parties and I, you know, have a beautiful career. But at the same time, when people start talking about it, and obviously you have to know your audience because I'm not going to obviously at a dinner table, I don't know people start sharing a story that's not, you know, appropriate, which is kind of sad, but it's, it's, it needs to happen. Obviously there's good boundaries around things, but it's just like what you said, if you share at AA or any of those things, but I actually share more at large because I do think if there are one in six men and then one in four women by the time they're 18 that are abused, however, the next statistic says only 20% of people tell, those numbers are far wrong. So if it's not them, it's somebody they know. And so the more that we become authentic and just stay in who we are and stay with our story, which I'm proud of who I am coming through that, I think it does help. And I'll let the next caller talk, but thank you for that. And I do think it's really beautiful that we come together and support each other any way that we can. You're very, very welcome. Anyone you want to bring on the next caller? Oh, I thought I was. I was muted. The next caller, is that you, Philip? Yes, I got a new phone. My phone broke. Well, thank you for calling on your new phone. No problem. Do you have a comment um, for our, our uh, speaker? Do you have any kids, if that's not too personal? I do. I have two children. I have a daughter that's 40, 
And I have another daughter that's 38, and I have five grandchildren from ages 14 to seven months. Um, did, did, did your abuse affect your relationship that you're able to build with your kids? A hundred percent. How so? Um, well, so I married a man who was incredibly abusive. Um, to me, but to also my children. So my children were also sexually abused by him, mentally abused, physically hurt. We all were. I stayed with him for 17 years. I've now been gone from him as long as I was married to him. But it took me and my girls almost another 17 years just to heal. I would say our relationship today is better than it has ever been. But it's always still a struggle because on my watch they were hurt. And it doesn't matter where I came from. I have to say and I have to believe, which I do, on my watch they were hurt. And so owning that, um, it brings deep healing, but it's not without a cost and a struggle. That's very unfortunate. Do you volunteer for anything? Yes. I'm a CASA worker, and um, I do all kinds of volunteer work. I actually have my own YouTube channel that I interview survivors, um, I run a daily blog, so I do a lot of stuff, yes. Thanks for answering my questions. I hope your recovery goes well. Thank you. Could you share with us, um, you said you had a blog and maybe some other stuff, could you share with um, how we could get in touch with you or how we could reach yeah, any information? Sure. Yeah. You know what, I, I do everything under a prisoner by no crime of my own. Um, one of the things that I find often is that all of us feel like we came through a prison. I hear people say that all the time, a concentration camp, I had a prison without walls. Like our childhood, we're prison. So everything I write is under a prisoner by no crime of my own. And then my subtitle is incest, rape, murder, and then I turn four because that's exact, exactly how it happened for me. I think one of the things that I also that are interesting that we could talk about is when we talk about minimization, I think one of the things that's really important to talk about is memory real. There's so much. I, um, I think there's been a lot of work. There was, you know, this foundation, if you guys know, the False Memory Foundation that has now gone defunct, but it was filled with pedophiles saying, your memory isn't real. And I think it's a really important topic to authenticate ourselves and our experiences but also I think we minimize because we don't believe our memory is real. What do you guys think about that? Today I know that my memory is real. I trust my memory very much. But I think for many of us we falter at that point, and that's the point where we're not sure then. Let's just minimize because I'm not really sure how real these memories are. Don't, do you think that that's a part of minimizing? Well, for me I had buried memories, and so when they started surfacing, I didn't want to believe them. <laughs> and I think that was part exactly. of it. You know, I, I just like, I don't want to believe it. So if I pretend it's not real, it's not real, you know, but the more and more things came back and the more I worked with the therapist and I had been using drugs 37 years ago. And that's when my feelings started coming back. So when I have these memories, I start to have feelings and there was no doubt that these things were actually real. And, uh, you mentioned about being a prisoner, and I actually wrote uh, a little poem about it, and uh, I published it in two different places, some battered women's uh, um, uh, newsletter, and this is years ago, 
and also in um, an organization I work with called Whisper, Women Hurting Systems of Prostitution Engaged in Revolt, like we had an opinion. <laughs> but it is called Who's a Prisoner? And I, right. somebody seen it and asked me to read it in front of a take back the night. And I thought, oh, no big deal. You know, I didn't really know what it was. Some people got, survivors got together. So I went out there to Duluth and all of a sudden there's a whole park full of people. And I go, I can't go up there and read this, you know, and like, oh, yes, you can, you know, da, 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 da. And okay, finally I get up there and they say, you know, tell your story, even if your voice shakes. Well, my voice shook, I shook. I was crying <laughs> while I read it, and uh, I just, um, I did it, you know, and that's how I started realizing I needed to continue to read or continue to write and speak out, but it's called Who's a Prisoner? Do you know what it's like to feel protected only in the presence of closed shades and locked doors and even at times feel unsafe? Daddy walks around going wherever he may please. I once was his prisoner, yet he still holds the keys. The law says he can't harm me. The time goes slowly by. Do they know the torture that's so present with every tear I cry? I can't tell them how much it hurts me to know they let him roam. Do they know I'm still imprisoned in a place I'll just call home? The law was made to protect me, which truly isn't fair. I sit frozen in my prison as daddy roams and breathes the air. That yeah, was awesome. see, and I, and I read, and that was awesome. I read it, a whole bunch of people came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I could, you know, I, I can relate to that so much and this and that. And, that. you know, I felt like maybe my story was, you know, just like nobody would understand it, you know. And, and it wasn't even that, um, you know, in that much depth. But when I... Um, I decided at the end, what I did is I kind of self-published a book. I really, it wasn't really a book. I just photocopied some of my writings and laminated a cover and sold enough to cost for the printing and the stuff I used to put it together and gave it by the way. And then I just started emailing it out. And the other one I wrote is, is um, a little bit long, but it's called The Strength of a Warrior Woman. I get hope from hearing the struggles of those who have walked similar paths. Fragments of their stories paralleling mine. I grasp onto their words to the portion I savor as they saturate my mind and soul. I'm told I am courageous, that I have survived against unbeatable odds. Yet when I find myself alone with my thoughts and my memories, survival is just not enough. My inner voice and my guide speak to me. They whisper their truths and teach my mind and fill my heart. I am more comfortable being with myself. Then the peaceful moments come as the is passing through my being. My energy is tapped. Creativity explodes into the paper and the canvas. I never knew how to love myself for my needs were not to be met. Get away, I always wondered what an awful baby I must have been. The voice from the mother of all ages insists that I have always been wanted and loved. The tears from days gone by swell up my eyes and harden my throat. Trapped inside hopes, I wonder. Often wonder if I shall ever see. When I am in need, the phone seems so far away, hanging cold and silent out of reach on the wall. I push myself up the floor, forcing movement, grasping onto hope and trust. I seek out numbers from people who have promised to be there for me, even when I am down sinking into my sea of depression. The phone's voice is the tone of emptiness and fear, tormenting my ears, soaking into my brain, yet 
I gained the courage to dial. Sparks fly through my senses and a voice reawakens my belief that I need not struggle alone anymore. Words flowing like music, you are accepting me just as I am. Not trying to put band-aids on me, not trying to cover my pain. Offering suggestions, not shutting me up. There are no cliches, no insistent demands. A listening, concerned, supportive vocal tone helps me to believe that I deserve to live, to be happy, and that things will be okay. For you can hear my story and not try to make it away, not tell me to forget, not silence my anger or tears, giving me permission to feel to the depths of my soul. Your acceptance helps me to believe that I have not gone crazy, that I can live with all my reality, accepting my past a moment at a time. As I am now just feeling again, your words are unlike those who judge and blame. You find our commonalities, showing me our struggles, holding many shared feelings. Your courage helps me to see the courage in myself. Your hope opens my eyes to the great opportunities of today. Living through and in the moment fills my heart with joy. Knowing I survived another crisis, knowing the caring concern moves through the phone lines, filling my entire being. Help me to now take out my hidden writings, which have remained in storage, the ones I've been afraid to let another person's eyes see, another one judge. Help me to transform them into rays of hope to others. I return to my writing and drawing, hoping to each day somehow tap into the strength and compassion, which I have been privileged to receive. I discover my truths and weave words and ideas to share a bit of the gifts which I have gained. I try to give freely of myself the joy which I have found. Oh, Mother of the Earth, remind me to visit nature. Stand sure-footed on your sacred soil. Remind me of my roots. Give me strength. Nourish me up through the ground. Enlighten me with the wisdom and lives of the warrior women who have come and gone before me. Remind me of your love that speaks through the voices and from the souls of the ones you've sent to me. Those who give their gifts, really sharing their secrets hidden beneath layers of pain, opening up their wounds for a chance to help another, inviting the exchange of words, mixing souls together, transforming the beauty of the moment into the memories of a life and into the history of all time. So that's my poem. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that's mind blowing. You are so good at writing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You really, that's really cool. are. Appreciate it. I'm still thinking about it. That's why I stopped talking. <laughs> it was just so cool. I'm, I'm going in my head and listening, going, oh my God, I didn't know Victoria had that kind of talent in there. She's awesome. So you need to write more. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who gives out information, if that's their gift, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. everyone like here, of course, um, yeah. they should do it because they have a gift, and you've got a gift, right? And you also have a gift. Everybody does. So yeah, yeah this is cool to hear. How is it for you now? You know, two of the crow. Yeah. Um, I've actually got two women that. Um, that read some of the writings that I had, you know, because I started emailing people, and um, they're actually writing a book of my story because I can't sift through all the writings that are done because I had MPD and I had 31 personalities that were writing in journals, and so they're sifting through everything, and they have a publishing company in New York and uh, an editor that's uh, doing the first chapter right now. They found a place to start. I had no idea. 
you know, where to start my story. And uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's being put down. And it was, they're going to steal your story. And I'm like, you know what? The only reason I ever wanted to write or speak or anything is to get my story out there so other survivors know they're not alone. And for anybody that wants to help survivors or understand them, those are my only purpose. If I make anything as far as money off it, that, that's just gravy to me, you know, um, because that isn't the reason I started writing. My heart is helping other survivors. And that, oh, you're doing that's my that. You're doing that for sure. I've got Thank this um, book. I just put it on Facebook because... You know, I mean, my uh, brain injuries, I I just don't mm-hmm. have the capacity to put what I wrote, you know, through that in my head again. So I, I would need someone to take it over. But my reason for not doing it outwards is because I didn't want my son uh, to find out about my childhood. I did not see anything healthy about passing my kind of anger down to him about them. Uh, I, you know, I removed him when he was little and had no contact except for this one niece who has to mention every single one of them. <laughs> but at mm-hmm. this point, um, what you're doing, I think, is fantastic. I mean, this is what we need. We, we need mm-hmm. people to be doing what you're doing. This is mm-hmm. your talent. And well, I'm talking knew to that both of you. About the, talking about the incest and uh, bat, being a battered woman and and all that, and I got asked by Miss Texas to come on the her show on YouTube and talk about being used in prostitution because it was um, Human Trafficking Awareness and Prevention Month um, a few years back, and I went on there, but I'm, I wasn't sure whether I was going to do it two days before because my kids knew about the, the you know, that I spoke out about the other things. And um, so anyway, um, I called my daughter and I said, you know, I've got, I already had told her I was doing an interview with Ms. Texas, and I called her and said, well, I just wanted to tell you that, you know, the interview is about a part of my life I'm not sure if you know about. And she said, what's that, Mom? And I said, being used in prostitution. And she says, she just stopped and didn't say anything, you know. And I said, I just don't know if I should do it. And she says, well, do it, Mom, you know, by your story, whatever. And I says, well, it's going to be on YouTube and probably people on Facebook. And we have similar friends, you know, um, both in the program. Um, I said, I'm sure other people are going to see it, too. And I just I just want you to be aware of it, you know. And, and she's like, no, do it, Mom. And so then I called my son as well. I just, like, wanted to get their permission before it got put out there. So that's how I dealt with it with my kids. No, you're doing a wonderful job. I was on when you were still, like, um, not new, but not as progressive mm-hmm. as you are now. I yeah. think you made tremendous progress. Yeah, because um, so yeah, I, I had all about 13, 14 years ago, I think. And I was not talking about my child abuse because I was so ashamed that I didn't escape till I was 21 from my biological father, you know. Yeah, I get that. I don't know yeah. think somebody thinks you can just magic age of 18 and all of a sudden yeah you know you get all this wisdom and i just figured you know i was standing in the wrong place and the wood never dropped out on me <laughs> yeah it's all about timing think your life's going to yeah. co- compress because your plan is really already worked out you just don't know it all so you're going to be changing 
know, you're going to yeah. go forward, even more forward. Uh, and you're definitely somebody to watch. Yeah, yeah. I definitely so far, You know, from from a person that was locked up in a state institution that thought I'd never get out, um, state psych ward that I thought I'd never get out to where I am today is, you know, complete one. <laughs> you know why you're so good at in me at identifying with you is because I have a son like you. Just doesn't mm-hmm. have, um, I've counted five uh, personalities on him. He's 40 yeah. years old, and he's mm-hmm. he's the one with homicidal ideations, that kind of person. Mm-hmm. But he's a he's a genius. And yeah. everybody else, you know, they had plans. They abused him. They did whatever to his body. But he had his brain, just like you yeah. had your brain. So yeah. he does. He well, expresses himself through art. I didn't get correctly diagnosed as so my uh, um, 30s. But you did it. But you did it. You know, yeah. That's not bad. You know, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to Jody. Sorry, Jody. Oh, I, didn't I am to so take over. sorry. <laughs> I just found Victoria. No, so no. This, this, no. I just know her for a long time, so this is a special night. I wanted to tell her it's a special night. So I'm, I'm sorry for being rude. Oh, no, you're not being rude at all. Okay. Jody, are you still on? Oh. Did, did you want to? You know, I'm still I'm, here, yeah. Annie. Yeah, we can hear. I can hear you. Okay. It looks like the two callers we had earlier in the show have dropped. Oh, okay. So that's Philip and the guest. Okay. Well, I'll encourage you immediately. No, and no, oh, and her. Yeah, it's me now. You know, I think the other one was Philip. I think he signed he off. And okay. He does that. But we're having a good discussion here, and I think we should just continue it. Mm-hmm. Is, is Jody still on, though? I heard her, and then I didn't hear her. And I don't see her on, on the computer. Oh, so, no. Well, I hope I, mean, I hope I didn't talk too much that she had told me the guest. No, 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 no. She told, she told me that um, she's out there. Can anyone hear me? Like, she wants to be here still, but she's having a problem. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, with the connection to her phone, maybe she's not in, you know, mm-hmm. a good place. Well, I know like she was stuck going in. She's going in and out. Yeah. Annie, are yeah, you still the, with us? She was. I'm still here. Can you hear me? There she is. We got her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm not showing up on the studio board. I don't know no, why. You're not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know well, why. you're on here. <laughs> yeah. You're on the show. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking the same thing you are. So you're 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 still on. I like you. So let's go. <laughs> Want to hear more? <laughs> but but um, well, I hope 
I hope Cody can find uh, the way to get back on the show. Because um, I want okay. to hear more about her, um, the work that she's doing as well. Because, yeah, uh, me too. Um, we could read it. Yeah. You know the the bio. You know, catch every up up to where she is now, and hope that she comes back. And then, yeah. if she's not back here, we'll just continue discussing um, her topics. And exactly. Listen to your beautiful writing. That's fine with me too. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate back. Um, but I think uh, a big part about, you know, telling our story or even even acknowledging it to ourselves, like I said, a lot of people, you know, um, don't have the memories and start getting them back. And for me, it was getting them back, like, in flashbacks, getting them back in nightmares, um, getting them back when other people talked. Um, it was also important to hear other people talk because I got words to describe my views where I really didn't have those words before. You know, I didn't, I didn't call what was done to me rape. You know, um, my biological father made me call it making love. You know, and and so to learn the correct words of what's happening to us um, can help us describe more accurately what our story is. Yeah. Well, you're a very interesting person. I always said that. Thank you. And like I said, I understand because of my son. Um, he has different names. Um, yeah. Some I know, some I don't know. You know, I could hear him talking to this one, the other one, and I always wondered yeah. if he knew the other one that he's talking to. Like, does the guy have? Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Do they have the same name as him, or is it a different person? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is what I always wondered. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, if I hadn't seen a psychologist and worked. Um, so closely with the psychologist who actually um, had interactions with the alters um, and got to tell all the stories to her, um, I don't think I'd be where I am today. You know, just that acceptance. And, and then everyone else, she'd say, you know, is everybody in the system safe? And, is you know, um, I had one alter that wanted to tell one of the other alters and she had a get her to understand if she felt that alter she says that too, you know. And um you know people come to you when they're supposed to. That's what it comes down to. Someone else is gonna come down to you again and you're gonna go further because they see what we see. Yeah. And so anyway what happened was uh she said, Well I need you to sign a no harm contract whether it is to you or anyone else. And so that's her sign, and then she said, if anybody else is telling like they're going to harm themselves, somebody else come out and sign. And six other alters came out and signed, and I, we had no idea those alters were feeling, you know, like they wanted to die or, you know, lash out or whatever. And uh, very interesting uh, how I was in intense therapy like twice a week for 13 years uh, before um, before it wasn't splitting anymore into these different personalities. But it was a lot of work, you know. It was a lot of work. <laughs> Plus, I had to stay sober, so my mind was clear enough to do work. And that was difficult. 
I don't call them character defects. I call them coping mechanisms, and it was the way I survived. So I don't blame myself anymore. You know, I replaced the negative behaviors I had with positive behaviors, and and that's not easy. But they say take an inventory, and for me, it's like you go and you know I was working in the store and uh, um, look at everything, and you decide, you know, like say you're in a food store. You take out all the things that, you know, that, that are old, that are expired or, you know, um, clean up what you can, whatever. And then you put everything else back in the shelf. Well, obviously you got room on the shelf now. So, you know, you order some more stuff, you get new stuff and you put that on the shelf. That's kind of how I did my inventory. Um, that's kind of how I did my program where, you know, I replaced, you know, I lied a lot because I didn't want to tell anybody the truth what really happened to me. So I made up stories, you know, like somebody went to the state fair and did all this and did all that. Well, I just thought, well, I'll tell them I did all this and that. You know, instead of saying that my grandparents had in the beer gardens and just give us money and say, go have fun, and we'd have to drive home with drunk people. You know, I didn't want to tell that story. <laughs> like Jody was saying, you know, um, you know, people are talking about going to the fair and having a wonderful time. And I didn't want to share my story, and I did with a couple people, and just their jaws were dropping at a lot of the stuff I was saying about what happened, you know, and that just kind of gave me the feeling that I shouldn't talk about it. I would just sit back and let everybody else talk about all their good times, you know. But with NASCA... And the people in Alaska, they've experienced, you know, like I would say, let's look at our commonalities rather than our differences, you know. And one thing that we have in common is feelings. Like when I say fear, you guys know what fear is, you know. When I say sadness, you guys know what sadness is, you know. And you know it to the extent that I feel it when I say I'm having a panic attack or anxiety attack. And somebody else goes, oh, yeah, I have anxiety too. This morning I couldn't figure out what kind of lipstick to wear, you know. And it's like. Okay, <laughs> you know, my kind of anxiety. <laughs> Did our guest come back? Yeah, would you like to add, add to the conversation? I'm, I'm still here. This is Annie, and no one else has come back. Um, our guest hasn't come back unless she's here and I can't see her. Are you here, Jody? No, I don't think so. Yeah, she came on on my screen with the sound, but she wasn't on my my computer screen. So I don't know if she's there or if she's not. But you know, the conversation is going well, so yeah, know, we'll take yeah. it. Does anybody have a way to contact her? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear. I didn't understand what you just said. Oh, I asked if anybody has a way to contact her. No. Yeah, yeah, I do not. You don't? No, probably well, Carol. Okay. Carol would have her number. I think she's the one who's booking people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can go back to um, what we're talking about, you know. You do have one of the most complicated lives um, I've heard of. And because of my son, I've been exposed to the system and 
how they're treated, uh, and that's like not a problem. They want to drug them all out. He's the whole thing, but not like you. For you to come from mm-hmm. a background like that to, to to use it positively to help others is, mm-hmm. I think, one of the was probably one of the greatest gifts. I mean, because I, I find you to be amazing to be able to do what you do from. I try, and you I try to, keep... to give back to people what what I've been given, and then I also try to figure out what I could have used, what I needed that I didn't get, and try to get to other people too. Yeah, that's what happens. We're at the point, you know, we come to the point of a certain life. It's like, all right, I know I don't have this, and I know I didn't get that. So mm-hmm. it's like load up time. It's like you load mm-hmm. up the foundation. Mm-hmm. And from there, you go another step where, wherever the next step takes you. You know, mm-hmm. it's just hard. You know, kids are fragile. You know, mm-hmm. parents think because they're so young, they don't understand what we're telling them. When yeah. I can remember that, you know, as young as I was, seeing a TV show, I knew what they were saying. It's how you learn yeah. to speak your language. You know, mm-hmm. my, my house was just, so crazy that I actually, the first time I heard my voice, I was four years old and I was just mm-hmm. in kindergarten, except for mm-hmm. screaming. That was the first thing. I didn't know how to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, was, I was shy. I mean, I, I didn't know other kids, anything. It was yeah. horrifying for me. So I know yeah. a lot of the hardships and, mm-hmm. that you go through as that person, you know. Some I talk to, you know, not so much to them anymore because I'm just sick of my story. Um, it's not happy. I don't really think that there's a shortage of books that would be like mine. And I keep the information safe from my son seeing. That, that's my motive. There's enough, like, whatever. But the gift that you have with the words, the way you word things, even with you know, whatever you don't like about yourself, this gift that you have, that's going to take you places. You're going to, like, hang on to it, and it's going to tell you the next step mm-hmm. to take. That's, that's oh, I, how you're I going. I could have never done speak in front of other people, and I'm just working with better women's shelter. I started working with them in uh, um, 86, 87, and they asked me to, you know, start speaking and stuff. And I'm like, I can't speak for everybody. And I started speaking. You know, and I just did it because they had faith in me, you know, because <laughs> I thought, well, I won't even know what to say, you know, and they gave me a little bit of a guideline, but, you know, basically said, you know, just tell your story. And back then, there wasn't many survivors telling their stories when these conferences for sexual assault and, and domestic violence were basically professionals that were either psychiatrists or therapists or social workers or domestic violence shelter workers, whatever getting up there and telling about um, survivors they worked with and quoting statistics and deciding what they were going through, what the people they were helping were going through. There weren't survivors saying, this is what I'm going through, you know, in my recovery. And so I was one of the first people that started speaking out in domestic violence and then later on about being used in systems prostitution um, prostitution and uh, my biological father took pornography of me and uh, and started speaking out with that and working with the police and working with social workers and other things. 
and uh, doing a juvenile prostitution prevention project, which I brought a video into the school in uh, Minneapolis here, and, and just a whole bunch of different things that I did. But I wasn't talking about my child abuse until I met Bill, and that was about 13 years ago is when I first started talking about it. Well, that's a good time that you've been working. That's a good time, mm-hmm. and look what you turned out. I mean, to hear yeah. you from then to now, you know, you're right. definitely changing right. in a good way. And now no. I've got so many people coming up to me or calling me on the phone and saying, um, hey, Victoria, you know, you mentioned that you were a survivor of child abuse or domestic violence or, you know, um, being used in the sex industry or whatever and having conversations with people and helping get resources and helping them, you know, just, just feel okay about themselves and, and not all the shame shame and guilt and everything. Because um, that was a big thing for me, having all that shame and being belonging to NASCA um, and telling my story and sharing with other people, um, that shame started to just melt off me, and I don't have any more. That is so awesome to hear. You know, yeah, so people will, so people will awesome. meet me at AA and they'll go, oh, Victoria, Victoria's secret. And I said, no, Victoria's not so secret. Matter of fact, Victoria will tell you anything. I said, even this stuff you don't want to know. That's cute. That's cute. Mm-hmm. We'll have to use that one. <laughs> Victoria's Secret. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I ain't secret no more. I, you know, I've been secret too long. I just tell it like it is, and you know, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. <laughs> but I'm not you know that laughing is part of you know, actually. I'm not going to start stop telling my truth. I've kept the secrets too long. Yeah. Well, laughing is part of therapy, and you, uh, you're going to go even more places. You're going to be one of those happy people. And the best thing you could do when you get to the end of your trial, all the people that you helped, because there's going to be so many immense amount of people that you're going to be dealing with. And um, it's like um, you have, I guess, whatever happened to you that brought you to where you were when you started doing this was so bad and it was like maybe that was training for what you're supposed to do in life. I know my son uh, is a product of growing up in a crazy house because mm-hmm. I would yep. not be, have been able to handle him unless I knew you know what to do and I learned that as a kid. It was yeah. huge. Make, well, uh, it doesn't make a lot know, of sense I placed, but that is what I placed, my kids, I placed my kids in permanent foster care when they were, you know, um, my daughter was a teen and my son was a little bit younger. He was three years younger than her. And uh, because I wasn't the mom I wanted to be, and I wasn't the mom my kids deserved or needed, you know. And because, yeah, I started having memories and I started, you know, and was basically told that, you know, you can't help your kids if you can't help yourself. You have to help yourself first before you can help your kids. You know, it's almost like that you're on an airplane and, you know, the oxygen mask come down, and you got to put it on yourself first, and then you can put it on your kids or other people that can't, you know, do it themselves. But if you don't put it on yourself first, then, you know, you're not going to make it. So I had to put the oxygen mask on myself, you know, but I also, in a way, did with my kids, too, because I got them to healthy homes. They were in um, wonderful foster cares. 
that, you know, they would have never even graduated from high school, and they both went to college and both have successful careers and healthy lives, and they would have never had that. They'd be lucky if they were flipping hamburgers right now, <laughs> you know, yes. or living Sounds on the like, couch doing good, like some people I meet in Alabama. Yeah, I know. I think it's different. It's totally different. Different mm-hmm. set of circumstances yep. turns a person into, a, you know, another part of themselves, you know. Half of us mm-hmm. don't even know we are part of it, of the bigger picture, but we are. So yeah, yeah, you are for sure. And I'm glad you know it, and I'm glad that you get out there and that you help so many people mm-hmm. because you got a personality that can handle. Um, mm-hmm. a per- actually, people of different people at one time because of you know from a, a problem, but that's like the foundation, and you don't even have to tell anybody mm-hmm. because you're about your past because you're you know now who you are is interesting enough <laughs> mm-hmm. so if you don't feel like talking about the past you just pick mm-hmm. up you start talking about it mm-hmm. when you feel that you were the most positive and and then you mm-hmm. tell your story that way so and yeah, one of the things my therapist said first on is you know this is your story and you get to tell who you want to you know what i mean like you know, if you don't feel comfortable or safe telling somebody about your abuse, um, go with what your gut says, you know. Um, but if you do feel or you have the opportunity to share and you want to, you know, it's all about choice. Like today we have choices. When we were kids, we didn't have choices. And today we have choices. And sometimes i got to remind myself of that, you know, that, that I, have, I have a different life than I did growing up, you know. Um, I don't have to um, repeat those patterns. Um, I can make new choices, and there are more choices than just getting backed in the corner like when I was a kid. You know, like just one instance, my grandma would scream at us if we turned on the water too long. We could only turn it on a little bit to brush our teeth or, you know, to drink water because they had to pay for our water or sewer. could only flush the toilet once a day, you know. And it was really hard for me to flush the toilet every time I went to the bathroom or like the water running to walk over the refrigerator and come back or in, or go get a glass out of the cupboard and come back and fill it. And like the water running, I got extreme anxiety. And I had to keep reminding myself, I'm an adult and I'm paying for the water and I can run the water for an hour if I want to run the water for an hour and nobody's going to yell at me and nobody's, I'm not going to get in trouble, you know. But that's a big leap for for me, you know, and people don't realize how hard it is and how hard it was just to get through a day, you know, when I started remembering and I started figuring out where all this weird behavior came from, you know. And I just called myself crazy until one of my one of the women I was working with says, Victoria, you're not crazy. What was done to you was crazy. Anybody would react that way. In, in the situations you were put in, you know. And, and that finally mm-hmm. made me feel better. So I don't call myself crazy anymore, but once in a while I'll joke about it and say, you know, some people call me crazy and some people call me for advice. <laughs> I call you a genius, actually. Well, I appreciate it. Because I, I, appreciate I can it. see. You know, oh, I, I believe that. I mean, I could see further than because I'm, I'm like older so it's easy for me to spot signs mm-hmm. and whatnot so mm-hmm. when I do I'm always pleased 
Lisa's township mm-hmm. that carrying on mm-hmm. the core of the child abuse by the perfect person, you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I picture actually you filling up like a whole bunch of people in, in rooms. You should. Did you try the PTAs? Getting into the no, school? No, I wouldn't. Nah. No. No. No, because I was I was in such distress. I couldn't even. I mean, for the first three years after I got away from my biological father, I couldn't even leave my house because he had threatened to, to um, find me and put me in a basement because he had made me sign sexual slave contract and tortured me and was into S and M and all that shit, you know. And taking pornography of me, threatening me all the time. And his ultimate mm-hmm. fantasy was take me to Louisiana and marry me and ride my child as ours. It was a uh, child, my daughter from a previous marriage that was abusive. And I had left him, and my biological father came back to my life. And I finally escaped from him. And uh, um, then I went kind of underground. And then I ended up getting involved with another guy who was an abuser and got away from him and had my son and got away from him and uh, kind of went underground again. And that's when I changed my name so I could start doing public speaking. Mm, definitely amazing. But, you know, 37 years ago, um, my son is um, just turned 38. So when he was a baby, I got into AA. And uh, I would have never thought I could even stay sober for a week. But a friend of mine invited me to go. And uh, I heard her tell her story. And I knew her history because she was in the battered women's shelter with me, you know. And I knew her knew most of her story when she invited me. And I thought, you know, if she could make it sober, because I didn't know she was sober. But she had eight years of sobriety. And I said, how much sobriety do you have? And she goes, eight years. And I go, holidays, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I could go and she could stay sober on holidays too, you know. And now oh, you know, people are like, How'd you do it? And I says, Well, you know, I used to have some feelings and I was into therapy at the same time and was working through my feelings, my memories, and I was overwhelmed a lot. I had never had my feelings. I was stifled from way back when. I don't remember having feelings being allowed to have feelings. I had yeah, to be don't what? cry, right? That was oh, one of yours, don't I, cry. I had, to be a, I had to do exactly what my grandma wanted me to do, you know. I mean, if she wanted me to be happy, I had to be happy. If she wanted me to, you know, um, go out and rescue her from running in the street, um, I, I had, you know, it's not like I had to. It's like I felt obligated. You know, I mean, because they took me in when nobody else wanted me. So, you know, obviously I owed them everything. And I felt that way all my life. When I started therapy and, you know, they wanted to talk about my my uh, family of origin or my grandparents growing up, I felt like I was betraying them by even simple things that I'd say that happened. You know, let alone telling the, the big secrets. Well, definitely. I mean, I think more family has different members in it, the more chance mm-hmm. it has to finally, like, tell one of them something. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's really hard yeah, my to brother, talk. My brothers went to live with my mom when they were teenagers, and I wasn't a teenager yet. 
And so I lost my brothers, and then I went to live with my mom, and I thought, why would she take them and not me, you know, and asking her further down the road, she says, well, you seemed like you were happy, you know, when when I was with my grandparents, but my brothers weren't. My brothers were, my grandma hated boys and treated them horribly, you know, and then I found out later on from my brother that his stepdad, that's why my mom took them because she had remarried, um, and they were they were in the carnival, and I found out that my um, my um, my my brother's stepdad sexually abused both my brothers, raped them every night. Um, the whole time they since the first night they came there, lived with my mom. And I'm trying to get my brother to come on uh, the show and tell a story. You know, so I'm hoping one night I can uh, get him to come on. That would be awesome to have uh, a brother and sister both come on with, yeah. the, with that story. But he has, like, a different history because he lived with my aunt for a long time. I didn't even know he was my co- brother. They told me he was my cousin. And he told he told me and my other brother who lived together that he was our brother. And he got in big trouble for telling that secret, you know. Wow. So there's just <laughs> a whole different dynamic that we grew up in, you know. Yeah, he can write books and stuff too. And he's in recovery too. He's in recovery too. Matter of fact, I gave all those journals and have talked to these women on Zoom many times. And uh, the one woman said, oh, we got more than one book here. (laughs) You know. So, yeah. We got to get the first one done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're farther along than you think you are. I really well, I know. I wasn't in assisted living where my needs weren't being met at all. They weren't doing anything they were supposed to be doing. And I wasn't telling my kids because I didn't get to talk to them that much. My son's in California. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't get to talk to them that much, so I didn't want to bring up what was really happening to me. And finally I went on Facebook and said I was giving away all my stuff. My daughter was a chemical dependency counselor for dual diagnosis. And well, Mama, are you okay? We're worried about you or something like that. And I thought, well, I'll just go on Facebook and take that off, and then, like, everything will be okay, you know. And they tried to get a hold of me for, like, three days. I ignored the calls, and finally I answered the call, and my son said, hey, Mom, I'm thinking about investing a property in Minnesota, and I was wondering if uh, you'd live there and if you could live with Dad, you know. And I think a few minutes, I said, yeah, I guess I could live with Dad. We've been divorced for a long time, but we've always been friends. You know, there was no horrible breakup or anything. And so anyway, we're, we've we been living together now for um, over a year. And we have a house and a yard. And got two dogs. I got one little girl. My little girl is pregnant right now. We're going to have puppies. <laughs> I mean, my whole life is completely different. I got a meditation area in my yard. I've been planting flowers. You know, I've been doing crafts. I've been, you know, organizing my house and my garage and just a whole different, completely different life. Yeah, that hyperactivity that you have pointed in the right direction. Yeah. You the world the way you're going. <laughs> yeah. And then I, to, I told my son, I said, you know, after I lived here a month, I said, Rick, I have never felt better physically, spiritually, or emotionally my whole life. He said, really, Mom? Because you've got a house? And I said, it's more than a house. I said, I have stability, and that is something I have never, ever had my life 
If I'd have got kicked out of the last place, like they tried to kick me out over my service dog, that'd have been my 20th time homeless. Wow. I had breast cancer. I had ileostomy. I ended up in the hospital because I had pneumonia and turned to sepsis. I've been in and out of hospitals, nursing homes, living, homeless on the street, everything. Yeah, nobody really thinks about when they're abusing and what's going to happen down the road. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I end up in a psych ward or the hospital or anything like that. I don't have to worry about getting kicked out of my house because my son's my landlord, you know. Yeah. And I can get in-home care, and I've got people that come in and help me out from um, services, you know, that 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 are helping me more than the assistant living I lived in. <laughs> No, that's really good, though, that they exist yeah. out there. I mean, look what NASCAR yeah. uh, has also to throw in on top of that. Yeah. So you're, mm-hmm. you're heading in a positive yep. direction. You're speaking oh, yeah. out. Yeah. You're like, yeah. you know you're supposed to be doing what you're doing. You're doing it. And yeah. People are attracted to you. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're going to be doing this, like, forever. We always oh yeah, you know, people go, are, you know, are you healed? And I says, I'll be, I'll be healing and changing and growing until I take my last breath. You know, I turned sixty when I turned sixty years old. I said, I just turned sixty. Now it's my time to live. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got time still to do it. So oh, I'm, I'm like sixty-five. Be I hope you yeah. do. I honestly hope I'm you 61. do because you're gonna gain wisdom. And the best yeah. people in the world are the ones with wisdom. So you kind of definitely, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. fit right in with that. Yeah. And uh, I ended up, um, um, you know, I, I uh, do meetings and I go to different places and speak for, you know, AA and I'm in Al-Anon and AA. And, of course, I, you know, I recovered from drugs and alcohol, you know, plus all the, I mean, every three months I was in a psych ward. I was in a revolving door of a psych ward institution, you know. Yeah, Even when I was old, it's a horrible life. I was overwhelmed. I was totally overwhelmed all the time, you know, and it, it wasn't live one day at a time. It was one moment at a time. You know, that's all I could do. And one day I just decided, you know, I'm not going to the the best revenge is to live a good life. Best revenge is, you know, living the life that I want to live, that I always was meant to live. And that's creating a life for myself and realizing I have pieces today. Do what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do what you want. Have your own time. Be on the right path. Last two years I went to the NASCA conference, and I could have never done that before because – I was only getting $104 a month when I lived in assisted living. And now I have some money that I can actually, you know, do some of the things I wanted to do all my life. Being homeless and not have no money, you can't do what you want. You're lucky you can get your food, clothing, shelter. Yeah. And you fought it all, though. And you won. And you're still winning. That's yeah, the most positive right. thing, a positive role model you could be. Right. You know, these kids right. need people like you. Yeah. Because and I had major kidney failure. My kidneys were only functioning at 15%. I had vertigo and I was using a walker. And people see me now that hadn't seen me since I was using a walker. And they're like, I didn't even recognize you. 
say, aren't you the lady that used to have a walker? I'm like, yeah. And I said, my kidneys got better. And they said, how did you change your diet or exercise? No, nothing. Um, I was told by an untreatable, inoperative breast cancer. And that was in 2000. And I did chemo and radiation. Doctor said, it's a miracle. The tumors came off your chest wall. We could do surgery. And I haven't had a recurrence since. Well, congratulations. So, you know, I know there's people because I've experienced that. (laughs) I I am also a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. That in itself Mm -hmm. is such a war to get Mm -hmm. over, you know, for a woman Mm -hmm. any which way, especially if Mm -hmm. they can't be rebuilt Mm -hmm. or get a bad doctor. And everybody seems to be able to get away with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got a video that I did on uh, uh, media called Copper, and I talk about how I had my breast cancer surgery. And the doc, I told the doctor I didn't want reconstruction, so I woke up and I got these flaps on my armpit. Like, what is this, you know? And he said, "Well, you know, um, I left them there in case you want reconstruction." And I said, I told you I don't want reconstruction. He says, yeah, but you're young. You probably want breast one day. Now, here's a man deciding for me that <laughs> want he's breast look, one day. He's looking at yeah. it financially. That's what he's looking. You know, yeah, and I asked my doctor, want. I said, well, can I get this taken off or considered, you know, cosmetic surgery? And she's like, well, you can get them taken off. And this is when I was really sick with that kidney failure. She says, but you really don't need to be under the knife right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's why I didn't issue. do it. But I, I can do it now. I just want that flap taken off. I don't care if I have breast. That's not a deal. Yeah. And yeah, I love my body. People even it's just the way it is. Yeah, I well, my well, handling it is good. So the breast cancer people should also get a hold of you. You know, go out and find where all these people meet. Go even further yeah. into the community or make your own youth camp. You mm-hmm. can do anything because you know yeah. you've been there. So, mm-hmm. Well, they you know, told me that, you know, um, chemotherapy and radiation wouldn't help. So I wasn't going to do nothing. You know, and my husband asked me, are you going to do chemo and radiation? I said, no. I said, as far back as I can remember, I've wanted to die. At least now I won't die of alcohol and drug addiction or mental illness. I'll die of the acceptable disease cancer. Now I'm going to fight it, you know. But when I told my kids, the whole in their eyes made me think i got to try to fight it. I want my kids to say my mom just gave up. Oh, I'm just saying my mom went down fighting. So my daughter was supposed to go to four years of um, free college and she refused to go, took me to all the things and kept track all the information, which I wouldn't have done because I was switching and losing time. She made sure I got to all my appointments and everything. And after the chemo and radiation, the doctor said, it's a miracle the tumors reduced to half the size that came off my chest wall. That's why they couldn't do the surgery in the beginning because they were attached to my chest wall. Tons of tumors I had in the breast. Wow. And, you know, and so, you know, um, if it hadn't been for my daughter taking those appointments, I, I went back. And now I have a, you know, 13-year-old granddaughter that I would have never met. <laughs> That's true, though. 
That's absolutely true. And then yeah. these kids that even grow up in foster care, they don't even know who their family is half of them. You know, a lot of them yeah. are great kids. You know, uh-huh. just really kids that don't want to, well, their parents just mm-hmm. don't want to find them anymore. Maybe they were just yeah. too much for them to handle. Well, I ended up in foster care, but I, um, I gave up my uh, physical rights, but I never gave away my legal rights, so I got to visit my kids whenever I wanted to. Well, that part is good. Part of me thought I'm not even going to see them because they'd claim to me and want to come home with me, and I knew they couldn't do that. And I was going to AAA, and people go, oh, you're doing so much better. You should get your kids back. I said, my kids are right fine where they're at. I said, they got stability, and maybe I can't give that to them. And they didn't understand me, you know. Uh, and and it didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to me because I knew in my heart I did the right thing. It was the hardest thing I ever did was placing them, but it was the best thing I ever did. We took an old girl that has the same story. A lot of people don't always understand, you know, what what your motives are and, and, you know, why you're doing it. But, you know, that was was just some insight I had. Um, Fortunately... I was aware enough to know that I wasn't the mom I wanted to be and I wasn't the mom that they deserved to have. And that's a hard realization to come to. Yeah, look, where you are. look where you are now, yeah. all circle. Yeah. And now things and are My son travels all around the world with his job and my daughter um, is doing just fantastic in her job and she's traveling and you know, she's making a good living, and she's got my granddaughter. And I go over there and watch how she interacts with my granddaughter, and it just brings tears to my eyes. That you know, she's a healthy parent, great mother, probably the best mother I've ever seen. Not that I'm prejudiced or anything, but she she's just there for her kid, you know, emotionally and everything else. And it just it just makes me so happy, you know. Yeah, it's like you could have lost them, you thought. Yeah. But it turned out yeah. that now they wanted you because they're, you know, grandkids mm-hmm. want their grandma. They don't really care. Yeah, my granddaughter the other day, we painted rocks together, and a friend came over and we painted rocks, and we took her out for, um, you know, book or whatever. We went over and got donuts, and, you know, we just have a great relationship that I would have had none of that. Also true. So my you daughter, you know, my daughter was on meth, and she got off meth, and she's in the program. She's got 17 years clean. Huh. That's a long time. And I had lost track of my son. I was living out with my mom in Texas, and uh, he had turned of age by the time I got back a hold of him. And I said, hey, Rick, when you go out and drink, how much do you usually drink? He's like, Mom. I don't know, beer, beer and a half. I'm like, you leave a half a beer in the bar? I, what the hell's the matter with you, you know? Um, and and I says, uh, I think you were adopted because our whole family's alcoholics and drug addicts, you know. And uh, it just, you know, we call him a normie because <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a problem with it. You know, he socially drinks. I can't socially drink, but even after seven years, I can try to convince myself that I could go out and socially drink. 
And I got to remind myself that I can't. And that's why I still go to meetings. And why I still call people in the program. Because I still can go into that illusion, you know. Yeah, I heard that. Well, I think you're a very strong person, obviously. You know, it's wonderful that you're on NASCA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when it's on NASCA, it's like a whole other thing. And I got literature, and I pass it all whenever I can. And I had a 37-year sobriety party I planned for myself, and I had an Elvis impersonator I paid for all year. And I was passing out NASCA literature at my 37-year sobriety party. (laughs) And... And uh, one person that came to my party, he, he brought his wife, and um, I was telling him about NASCA and handing him a brochure and telling him I'm a survivor of child abuse. And he looked over at his wife, and uh, she looked over at me and said, well, I've had mental problems too, and I'm a survivor. And she had never heard of any organization that, that helped survivors that were survivors of child abuse. And she took the literature and was so interested in it, you know. So you, you never know who you're going to talk to. And I, I do that all the time. I have a business That's card awesome. I hang with on the Minnesota Ambassador, you know, and I'm always out there. And I always You're on a mission. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. on a mission. Yes. Oh, I've been on a mission, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm, it's been a pleasure to watch you. Yeah. I mean, That's I just, nice. like I said, I just, I do what I want to do and I enjoy my life. You know, people are like, you know, asking me how to go out and whatever. And I say, you know what? If you want to go out for a cup of coffee and be my friend, that's one thing. But if you want to you want to be in a relationship of any, you know, long-term kind of commitment relationship, you're just wasting your time. You might as well just move on. <laughs> you know, I'm straight up there that I'm single and I'm happy about being single because I want to do what I want to do. I put my life on hold for too long. Either just surviving or, or being, you know, feeling obligated to be in a relationship with somebody and do what they want to do. Now I'm doing what I want to do, which is, you know, what I'm doing. (laughs) Well, this is a state that everybody takes advantage of of every opportunity they can get with you. and And I still need support, you know, and I find my support where I, where I know that it's a good place to get support, like NASCA and AA for me and Al-Anon and my friends that I, you know, found through other places. And, you know, I have a lot in common with a lot of people. And that's what I try to connect with people that, you know, like I say, connect heart to heart. It's, you know, people that are going to be yeah. good to me because I had so many that just, you know, sucked the life out of me. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> it looks like it's almost the end of the show, too. Oh, yeah. Annie, night. are you there? I am. I'm here. You got anything okay. to add? Or we're, yeah, we're getting roll calls to I, I have three time. more minutes. I have a hard time keeping track. You want to... Add anything while you still got a little bit of time? Yeah, I haven't heard much from you. Yeah, I haven't said much. Um, I'm I'm the quiet one. That's what I tell people. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Yeah, I just uh, I I just wish we had heard about um, Jody's what she that um, blog 
I mean, that web, what was it she said she did? A blog cast or something? Anyway, I, I don't know, she, but maybe you could read the, read the just bio and see if she's got any contact information on there. Where people can okay. get a hold of her. Right, right. I'll do that. And um, as far as me, I'll say that I'm doing well. I um I just had a birthday. Yay me and I turned sixty. Yeah. That's right. And Happy feel... birthday. Your birthday <laughs> was yesterday, right? Yes. Hard to believe it was yeah. yesterday. And you went yesterday. on a little vacation too for your birthday. I sure did. I went camping, which I awesome. love to do. And um I camped in an oak and sycamore forest in Malibu, California, and on the other side of the road, there's, a, there's a, a tunnel you go through to go under Pacific Coast Highway, and then you're on the beach. So it's like you just walk from your tent to the beach and surf. A lot of surfers stay in that campground. Well, we got 60 seconds left. Do you want to play the music? And thank you, everybody. For the wonderful yeah, conversation, and I hope jo- Jody is okay and that we didn't lose her for any negative reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, I found her phone number and I texted her and and said, you know, are you having phone troubles or something? But I haven't mm-hmm. heard back from that. Okay. Text. I believe okay. that's the phone number that I can see. Well, I hope she can come back on and and share some more of the information she had. Yeah, me too. I hope so. So maybe if you've got her contact, you could get a hold of her and see see if we can have her I back will. I'll, I'll call her when we're done yeah. on the show. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, I guess I have to play music then. <laughs> uh, you know what? I am not at the studio mm. um, screen. Oh, well, we don't oh, need yeah. to. We don't you need to. Hum. We can Go ahead and just hum. end with. You know, if you see something, say something, especially if you see um, a child that you think might be in danger, um, please report it because uh, um, we'd rather have people report it than uh, possibly be a child um, that's continuing to be hurt. And if you feel like you're afraid to report it for retaliation, just remember how that child feels trapped in that home. They they, uh, are vulnerable. Um, and and they need someone to speak out for them. And every adult is responsible for every child. We have no thrill children, um, And so, um, you know, take the time to care about children in whatever way you can. Um, please be there for the children today because there were nobody there for us, most of us, that um, protected us in uh um, you know, us adults, um, whether we're more uh, legally responsible, I believe that we're all morally responsible for for protecting children. And uh, it's a big issue, and we can do action. We don't have to just talk about it and say, yeah, it's really bad, kids are hurt. Let's do something. Let's get together. Let's find our commonalities and realize that we are trying to fight this issue together. And uh, we don't have to do it alone. There's many of us that, that are doing things and just connect with other people who find this issue very important. 
And there are people that are going to tell us to be quiet, quit talking about it, but we don't have to. We don't have to, and we don't have to be silent anymore. Thanks, everybody, for coming on the show. And uh, we have shows five nights a week, Monday through Friday, and we'd like everybody to um, come and be on the panel if you're into. And uh, we're also um, looking for guests and people that would like to tell their story. Uh, because that helps all of us. So, thank you, and uh, I guess we can end the show. Okay. Good night, everyone. everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Hope to hear from you all soon. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.